Welcome to Experiments vs. Experience here on www.ironradio.org. This is the show where a powerlifter... And I mean, after <laughs> 18 years of training, I'm only starting to realize... And a scientist... Because, no, the, the research gonna, is going to back that up, too. ...tackle tough questions sent in by listeners. It was the show that was created because science doesn't always agree with what athletes insist they know. Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org. This is the Experiments vs. Experience podcast. Uh, we're published on iTunes once a month, and we're pub- published on uh, Podcast Alley once a month uh, as sort of a feature that's part of the Iron Radio feed. Uh, this week, we're going to wrap up our discussion on anabolic steroids uh, with some practical information and some uh, science, as is you know, the nature of the show. And again, we're with uh, Jonathan Mike. John, I know listeners are getting used to you, but just yeah. maybe briefly who you are again. Yeah, sure. Uh, this is Jonathan Mike. I'm a doctorate student in exercise phys. been a strength and conditioning assistant at two Division One schools and, uh, <clears throat> and a very big strength enthusiast and currently a competitor uh, in the sport of strongman. So thanks for having me on. Cool. So again, with the you know background in uh, both experiments and experience, what we wanted to talk about finally as part of this um, anabolic steroid topic and are they really bad, uh, quote unquote, is just to touch on drug testing, uh, what it is, what are some of the advances, but also talk about fakes and risks, risks of beyond just what the legitimate medications do, but what are the risks of deciding to... Uh, use for any length of time. So let's start off with some of the basics of uh, drug testing. John, I know that you you've right. uh, you know you're very familiar with this kind of stuff. So maybe you could just explain to everybody the the generalities of, of how people actually test uh, sure. drugs at like Olympic training testing centers and whatnot. Well, <clears throat> there's been some recent advances in in a few techniques called uh, mass spectrometry. It's really provided an opportunity to decrease uh, detection by utilizing a technique called gas chromatography. And so together, it's termed GCMS, or gas chromatography mass spectrometry. So, for example, once androgens have been ingested, the body starts to convert them so they can be more easily discharged or eliminated as, as, as bodily waste or waste matter. Now, testing for... Uh, exogenous androgen use is carried out uh, in a sample by the athlete's urine. So components of the urine um, uh, sample are first uh, separated using a liquid chromatography and then in the presence of those androgens is detected using mass spectrometry. So basically it's a two-stage type of model. And the results can be quantified by uh, comparison with those obtained from a series of standard solutions um, with known concentrations of of steroids already in them. So, again, you test, and then you compare from a known standard or or standard solution to the the, uh, analysis that you're trying to test uh, within uh, a subject's urine. Now, this is incredibly complex, and and the methods of detection um, try to increase their sensitivity, but... Uh, the instrumentation is extremely expensive and requires high precision, and you, and you really need a large sample size, um, a very large sample size. So 
it's a, these these techniques are incredibly complex and, and, it, and it incorporates complex molecules. But the reaction steps are involved, um, and, and it takes a very very long time, um, as well, well as you know sort of purity required, um, and mainly because the substances are expensive. So that's basically the gist of um, these uh, modern uh, techniques. Again, they're not perfect, um, but it, it really gives us um, a good indication of uh, what's going on. Okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, it, with a large sample and a long duration and having to compare it to known standards and all this kind of stuff, how common is this? I mean, does someone who competes in a local bodybuilding contest, you know, for our readers' sake here, would they get a urine test done, or are, is that just going to be something like a polygraph test? It sounds like this is an expensive, uh, fairly rare type of procedure. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's rare within um, the bodybuilding type of you know, competitions. Or th We're mainly talking about this type of detection method. We're mainly talking about um, elite sort of Olympic athletes um, because, you know, most um, – areas of competition are unable to afford this type of testing. So uh, because of its, you know, because it's very expensive, we're mainly talking about um, you know, professional and, and elite athletes, uh, for example, like in, in the Olympics. So, Okay, yeah. Now, I wanted to touch just briefly because I saw a 2009 paper, and John, you and I had discussed this, but there are some interesting new, uh, we'll just sort of call them genetic techniques, where they can actually start, at least, to detect the presence of anabolic steroid use without the necessity of knowing the chemical structure beforehand. Let me just make, you, uh, make a little quote here. This is from uh, Houchman and colleagues. Uh, it's a 2009 paper from uh, Annals Kim Acta. And here's a, just a quote directly from this. Measuring compounds interacting with the androgen receptor can be used for the analysis of anabolic androgenic steroids without the necessity of knowing their chemical structure beforehand, whereas current chemical analytical approaches may have difficulty in detecting compounds with unknown structures, such as designer steroids. So, again, this is interesting because by looking at sort of the cell machinery, the, uh, the outcome of the anabolic steroid use, the anabolism, if you will, <coughs> rather than knowing the standard that you need to test for in advance, they can start to detect whether or not people are, you know, using. And this is very interesting stuff because in the past, of course, as John said, we, we've had to look at metabolites in the urine. We'd have to use known standards, know what we're looking for. And, of course, you hear about it all the time in Olympic Games, people using designer steroids that are just the, – the molecule is just slightly tweaked from existing known standards. So – it's not on any of the, um, you know, safety nets, any of these lists that, of, of what to look for. And this new technique, it's called the Mammalian Androgen Responsive Reporter Gene Assay. Uh, and, you know, this is work being done in the Netherlands. So you may start to see techniques that are looking for the, the, the cellular reaction to the steroid instead of having to know about it in advance uh, like is currently done. But this may be something that's a few years down the road. Yeah, a few years or you know, maybe even five to ten years or whatnot. But, uh, you know, even the current methods of detection 
you know, there's still not a, a great test to measure um, various compounds of testosterone or growth hormone or, you know, things like that. Because everybody, because everybody has, has Yes. Yeah. Okay. Anything else as far as drug testing? you have any more information there before we start getting into risks and, uh, and well, fakes? And there's, uh, there's been some change recently, but one of the other methods of detection is to assess um, the TE ratio, which is the testosterone to epitestosterone ratio. Now, that ratio is now 4 to 1. It used to be 6 to 1, um, and they really uh, decreased it mainly to have greater sensitivity with the test. But it, um, because there's such wide variation in, in any given person's uh, natural TE ratio, um, <clears throat> this is why they've had to sort of back it back down. Again, we're mainly talking about um, professional elite Olympic athletes with this type of testing. Um, the uh, WADA, or the World Anti-Doping Agency, um, you know, if you get, if your TE ratio is four to one, you know they start to be a little suspect of of what's going on because it's more than um, what they claim is six standard deviations from the expected norm. The norm for just a general average, you know, Joe is is one to one. So if you're four to one, um, you, you know that 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 calls for additional testing, uh, assessment, and analysis. Suspicious um, is what you're yes, saying. Yes. Yes. Um, so, you know, if you're four to one, they become a little bit suspicious. Um, you, you know, they require further testing. Um, if it's higher than that, then obviously there's further, uh, you know, ramifications, uh, you know, for that. And it's interesting because um, of the available data on this, out of 500 cases since 2004 from this paper, there's only been three of nearly 500 cases since 2004 where the TE ratio was between four to one and six to one. And like I said, it, it, it calls for... Um, you know, uh, more analytical findings under that, uh, you know, specific WADA system of the World Anti-Doping Agency. So. Okay. So that's actually something that may be simple enough, since it's just a hormonal test, um, that more local labs may actually be able to test for that. Would that make sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. So it's not like the super expensive Olympic Games only or professional sport only kind of test, potentially. Right. I think the TE ratio... Um, is you, know, you can sort of trickle that down to um, beyond um, just, just sort of the Olympic Games itself. When you start to get into the more expensive techniques, and um, obviously that's going to induce itself to more of a you know, higher caliber, higher, higher caliber, caliber, excuse me, um, you know, athletes uh, in, in competition. So, like I said, there's different tests, uh, but in either case, it's um, it's not a simple black and white thing. It's very uh, very complex. Right. And just to wrap this you know, first part of the uh, the episode up. Growth hormone being natural like testosterone. Now, my understanding last I heard is it was really not possible to test for exogenous or external growth hormone uh, use or abuse. Is that still the case? Yes, there's still not um, a, a valid test to measure any type of growth hormone. Um, so uh, hopefully that, uh, you know, that might be the case. Uh, with this new technique, this new technique that you mentioned earlier um, from that 2009 paper, that sounds like it's probably going to be the way to go uh, in the near future. Um, so we just have to wait and see. Mm -hmm. Now it's probably worth pointing out too that there's been a lot of work done with growth hormone by guys like Kevin Yerushevsky, who actually came out of the Kent State lab that I came from, and 
really suggested that used alone growth hormone, although it might increase protein synthesis or improve nitrogen balance, it, it really leans toward organ mass gains, which is sort of disturbing. And I think you can see some of that organ mass gains uh, in modern professional bodybuilders. You know, they have sort of the, the GH gut. Um, so it, maybe one of the reasons that it, there's not as much alarm about the, the GH abuse thing is because unless it's used concomitantly with testosterone or some other, like an anabolic steroid, uh, it may not do a whole heck of a lot, maybe for leanness, but mm -hmm. it it may not do a, a ton purely by itself. Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen and, and read throughout the literature, you have to take it almost daily or several days a week for three, four months, you know, six months, to really start to feel or see any type of effect. Um, taken alone, like you said, it may not do much, um, but couple that with you know, some type of testosterone, and then you can, you know, obviously it's a more powerful um, effect. So. Right. And this is one of the kinds of things that we've talked about before where athletes that are self-experimenting are going to be way ahead of what a lot of the science says because it's just not, you know, ethical in most settings to say, well, let's just gas people up with lots of testosterone and growth hormone and see what happens versus just testosterone alone or just growth hormone alone. But like I said, Kevin Yaroshevsky's lab has looked at some of that and, you know, there was all that disturbing organ mass stuff. But I did speak with him after a conference once, and he did say that there were a couple of rare cases where he had some uh, older men who, who were sort of given both at the same time, and I don't know if it was serendipitously or what, um, and just made amazing advances. Um, so it, it's a kind of stuff that researchers in pockets, I think, are aware of, that one plus one equals five, you know, when it comes to this kind of stuff, but... Right. So at this point, I think all we've really got for the most part as far as large numbers is bodybuilders who are tinkering with four IUs a day every day, like you said, or, or maybe more um, of this, you know, more expensive peptide kind of hormone. So and, and again, it, it's hard to detect. But again, using it by itself, not sure that's going to do a whole heck of a lot. OK, our next topic today uh, and our final one when it comes to. Uh, anabolic steroids and, and their risks are fakes or risks that are not medical risks to the real medications. Um, and Jonathan and I have talked about this a bit, and, and I'll, I'll get a quote from Fortress in here too, but uh, one of the concerns obviously is fakes. I mean, even if someone is willing to take the legal risk and, you know, with the Anabolic Steroids Control Act, and its updates, you know, the list of anabolics is, is growing that, you know, on the no-no list. And obviously, there are legal ramifications. But beyond that, clearly, if you go buy something on the black market, it, it could be fake. Um, whether it's oral tablets or whether it's injectables um, or it could be contaminated. And these are things you've got to really consider if you're going to try to use uh, anabolics for any length of time. You could be wasting money. And I mean, think about it. You're talking about unscrupulous people, not always, but often, at least on some level, who are trying to stretch what they've got and make as many sales as they can. And they're not always going to be um, averse to, you know, cutting in extra stuff. I mean, uh, vegetable oil or, you know, in the injectables or 
I mean, God knows what, you know, what, what tablets with, you know, that were specifically created in some Mexican pharmacy specifically to be fake, you know, to be sold on the black market. So, John, what do you think about fakes? Do you think it's a, it's a real risk these days or do you think it's changed? I think, it, I think it's a risk, but <clears throat> I think it's just a... Uh, you just have to really be aware of it. I mean, it's kind of like supplements. I mean, there's so many supplements out there, and you don't really know sort of what you're really getting unless, you know, you talk to a lot of people or you research it yourself or you're familiar and educated enough with, you know, physiology and um, and what sort of the claims, you know, uh, that they make. But uh, I, I think it can be a risk, um, you know, where you're getting them, you know, who's getting what, and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's a risk in terms of like a severe risk. I'm not really sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's I would call it a severe, you know, risk, sort of like a danger zone. I would definitely say it's there for sure. Yeah, I've never seen data, and it sounds like you haven't either, about the actual incidence of, uh, you know, injectable anabolic steroid users or growth hormone users. Um, getting AIDS, let's say, or hepatitis or something, you know, obviously you're breaching your skin and there's going to be dangers to introducing things intramuscularly into your system that do not happen when you swallow something. Not to say that everything's safe that you swallow either. Um, but it, just looking at bodybuilding competitions, for example, over the last several years, and I bet Rob will have something to say about this, but it seems to ebb and flow, the, the amount of fake stuff or the availability and I'll tell you why I think this is and John you and I were discussing this but in the early 90s there seemed to have been a lot of big guys in competitions uh, even the people that were attending in the crowd you see all these huge guys that were clearly not natural and and then maybe mid 90s you know or late 90s things really change. I, mean, I don't know, government crackdown or some major you know, arrests around the country or of de major dealers or something, but it really seemed to dry up because not only were the audiences regular size, but even the competitors were not the same anymore. And then you could see the rare individual who was, you know, physically looked head and shoulders above everybody else, you know. So it may ebb and flow with time uh, and government focus, I suppose, you know, government interest from the DEA or, you know, a, a senator who's really pushing the topic or something like that. So um, I've never seen good data on percentage of people who actually get infected with something really bad or even the percentage of fakes. Sometimes you'll see some stuff about the percentage of fake supplements, like like you said, but, you know. Yeah, you're right. I've never really seen any data on um, fake steroids or people getting some type of... Um, Disease from you know fake you know designer steroids or, or, or whatnot, but um, I would I would definitely say it's there. But um, in terms of the prevalence, um, uh, yeah, I'm not uh, not really sure. Right, and we've already touched on the obvious, like the extreme stupidity of sharing needles or something like that. I can't imagine right. anybody would do that. I really can't. But I mean. I suppose there are people stupid enough to do that kind of thing if they were desperate, you know, they didn't have enough on hand or I don't know, you know, and this is all speculation, but it's uh, there are risks that you, I mean, you've got to take seriously uh, if you or someone you know is, you know, considering this kind of thing. I remember back in the days of Muscle Media 2000, and John, you probably do too, um, they used to actually almost have like uh, these 
vicarious photo spreads of, you know, this is fake or this is real. Do you remember that stuff? Uh, a, a little bit, but I remember, I remember the magazine that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think Bill Phillips sort of built a part of the popularity of that magazine by, you know, again, vicariously saying, ooh, look at this, and, you know, beware of this brand of Anadrol. It's fake. It's out of Europe or Mexico or something like that. I mean... You know, like, for example, um, there's, a, there's a, a very popular supplement store uh, here where I live, and uh, it's funny because sometimes I'll go in there and they'll have... Uh, you know, a bottle of uh, Anadrol sitting there and or, you know, uh, HGH or, you know, something like in a pill form. And, you know, I mean, if you're not up to date on what's going on, if you're not educated, I mean, some people probably think it's the real thing. And it's just, uh, you know, the real the real thing is not going to be sitting out, uh, you know, on a counter <laughs> in the pill form, you know. <laughs> no, you know, I actually show a, a slide in, in one of my classes where it actually shows it's homeopathic um, or something that it's, it says right on it, testosterone and growth hormone. And you're right. If people weren't aware that, for example, you know, growth hormone is typically something that's sold in a separate powder and liquid that you mix together. And, you know, and it's it's not something that's oral or, you know, or even needs refrigerated, you know, or that testosterone because of the anabolic steroid control act or GH. These are not things you just sell in a magazine ad. I mean, but I suppose there are people who lack the awareness to the point that they might actually bite on that. So if if you're one of those people and you're just not sure if that's real, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because um, if, if if you're educated enough, intelligent enough, you can look on the back of the bottle, and it's almost just a concoction of, of vitamins and or maybe other minerals or you know something or herbs or whatever. Right. Uh, so. Right. All right. Well. I just want to offer a quick uh, clip from Fortress and see what his thoughts are. Well, the problem is a majority of the stuff out there is likely fake. Um, therefore, it could be either unpure or um, not exactly as advertised by the dealer. Um, local shows featuring large competitors um, often indicate that there's a current source in the region, uh, you know, a, 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 an amount of stuff that's out there. Um, also, years ago, anabolic drugs were mostly dealt by other users, but now uh, these class of drugs and hormones have become big business for organized crime groups, so that can be a danger to, uh, to those who wish to use it as well. Um, and the laws that govern anabolic steroids and other performance enhancers are vague to most law enforcement officers, and therefore many heavy gases who keep use personal escape the big, quote, nets that we read about. So that's a, probably a typical fortress quote. Uh, and I'm pretty much dry on what I've got on, on this subject because, again, you know, all we can do is talk about trends we've seen. This is really the experience side because there's not going to be a lot of experiments about, you know, prevalence of <laughs> fake anabolic steroids and, you know, how to choose wisely. <laughs> it's not the kind of thing that we want to pr promote either, of course. So, um, anyway, you know, it's a reality, though, that people do uh, use them. So, you know, you've got to at least spread as much knowledge. I think an educated decision is always better than a... Than yeah, you have to just sort of, uh, you know, just take the responsible and uh, an intelligent approach uh, as you would anything, really. Right. You're right. And I like your comments about, the, you know, the supplement side of things, too, because uh, oftentimes supplements in anabolic steroids, they sort of get lumped together by ignorant people, even professional people, you know. They're like, oh, supplements and drugs, drugs and supplements. And I think it all falls under this vague notion in their mind about what an ergogenic aid is, that it's cheating and thus it's the same. Yeah, um, 
and you know, generally, no. I mean, uh, well, right? I had uh, there's a couple people, um, some you know, some students, and um, I was talking about you know stuff with some of the mags and how you know they they look at the pictures and it's just not very realistic and you know these people are on you know massive amounts of drugs and you know but again like they don't they don't really know that so again I'm just trying to educate them from that type of perspective and you know somebody said um well I said that well they're on you know lots of drugs and I said well you mean supplements I said no I meant you know other drugs right so, like you said I mean for some reason they they sort of put the two together as if it's you know one just thing uh, it's not right all right, well, there you have it, uh, people. We've tried to cover as much as we can about this very touchy issue. And honestly, when you look at iTunes, uh, our discussion, I don't remember if it was the first or the second, but the discussions about anabolic steroids got a popular status because there's been a lot of downloads of that one. And I think it's because people, it's a very controversial issue, whether it's side effects or risks or the legalities or what effectiveness or what have you. And... Um, you know, so I guess it, it's good to get some of this information out there. There are people who are interested in, in trying to learn as much as they can. Uh, I just want to wind up today by just pointing out that at www.ironradio.org or nutritionradio.org, if you prefer, we have a, um, a donation link where if you'd like to support the show, we appreciate anything you can. Again, we're not exactly m making any kind of profit off of this, but it does have a certain amount of uh, cost just to provide this information and keep the website up and, and whatnot. And the conference calls that are used on the uh, the Iron Radio flagship podcast. So um, thank you for anybody who's done that, and we have had some support, so I greatly appreciate that. And uh, and that's about it for today. John, do you have any closing thoughts? Um not at all, but um, thanks for listening, and uh, see you next time. See you, everybody.